Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. Psalm 67. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a psalm. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine this, your very word to us here this morning, that we would understand your person and your will for us and for the world. Thank you, Father, that the center of your saving will is Jesus Christ sent to this world, dying for us, rising again, giving grace to all that come to him in faith. And Father, as we talk about the mission of Jesus to the world, we are here this morning in a small corner of the world here in North America in South Jersey because men and women that have named the name of Jesus over the centuries have seen the importance of the gospel going to new places. Father, would we be part of that number even here this morning? Jesus, bring us by your spirit into relationship and contact and engagement with yourself now that we would be sent people, however that would look, Father, in this season of our lives. Jesus, we pray these things for your glory and in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So three quick parts before we get to Derek and Kathy. From the sermon here, I want to talk about the future, and then we'll go past, then we'll go present. So, past, present, future, but out of order. So, we're going to talk about the future, then we're going to talk about the past, then we are going to get to the present. So, I mentioned before I read this psalm, Psalm 67, that this is often a psalm associated with the global mission of the church, and not only that, it gives us a glimpse of the future. Namely this, worship is God's global goal. The worship of the one true God, Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is God's global goal, and that's why the church around the world is called to be a part of missions around the world. As we unpack this psalm just a little bit more, it starts with the blessing of God's people, That's what we focused on last time, treating this psalm as a benediction, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And their good God is glorified when the light of God's face is reflected on the multicolored faces of people around the world praising this God, going out to the nations, that your way may be known on the earth, verse 2, your saving power among all nations Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you, verse 3. So the psalm doesn't say, let the people, as in one ethnicity or one people group, praise you. It's everybody. Let all the peoples praise you, verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. We have a good God. We have a true God. We have a righteous God. We have a holy God. And it is good that this God is recognized and worshipped around the world. And what we have here in the second part of the song, a crescendo of praise spinning towards the future. You could put it this way, that the climax of history is a crescendo of praise. As wave after wave after wave around the world sings praises to our triune God. Verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. 
The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. In that climax of history, moving forward as a crescendo of praise to the one true God, spins forward into the New Testament when we look back on Jesus crucified and resurrected as the bearer of God's good news and the center of God's story, now we engage even more, all the more, in the global mission of telling people about Jesus, of showing his goodness in word and in deed to everybody that we can so that more and more people can join the chorus of praising God everywhere. That's why in the New Testament, we are given a great commission. Some relatively famous verses from the New Testament. The end of the Gospel of Matthew, the Great Commission, some of you know it. The resurrected Jesus came and said to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Or Jesus' first words, then, in the book of Acts, right after this. Jesus tells his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Similar language to what we find here in Psalm 67. All the way to the end of the earth. All nations come together praising one Lord for the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin, rose again, canceling the debt that all who come to him by faith would receive the resurrection power and life of Jesus now, looking ahead to when Jesus comes again and makes all things new. And we join a global community, people that look very different from one another, but all say, Jesus? I love that guy. I believe that he came. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose again. And I need him for my life. I need him for forgiveness. I need him for salvation. This is God's global mission that you might call the first global community in the history of the world was the Church of Jesus Christ. One of my seminary professors was a man named Manuel Ortiz. He was also a church planter. I went to seminary in the Philadelphia area, and he planted a church in the Hunting Park area of Philadelphia called Spirit and Truth Church. It's there to this day, even though he died a couple of years ago. This is how he put it in one of his books. Missions is for Jesus. Jesus is Lord, and Jesus must become Lord. Every system, every power, and every city must be brought under the Lordship of Christ. We do missions to bring him honor and glory. We do them as a way of seeking to move the cosmos toward the day when, and he's quoting from the Apostle Paul here, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We do them because that will be the best expression of globalization of all. So that's the future. We look forward to this chorus of praise for all time. That's why when we think about worship here on a Sunday morning here at Liberty Collingswood, we are engaging in what we will be doing for eternity. What we hope, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, you get a glimpse of here on Sunday mornings, will give you a foretaste to say, I want to do more of that when I'm self-forgetful and filled with Jesus, praising him forever. Now let's talk about past, specifically here in the context of Liberty Church Collingswood and the Regional Liberty Communion of Churches. There are a couple of different strands that you could say have been influences, and the Liberty Communion of Churches is about 20, year old, 20 years old right now. Many of you here in the sanctuary and at Liberty Kids are not 20 years old, but here we go couple of big influences on our church, and this first one may not surprise you. He is a man and a pastor that rhymes with Jim Yeller. His name is Tim Keller. We offer a free book here. So he was a church planter and leader in terms of a thought leader in the church. Planted a church in Manhattan, New York City in 1989, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And that church, both by their example and their leadership, really cast a vision in the late 20th century, early 21st century, for church planting in urban city centers around the country. And a little bit of church history here more recently. As you go through the 20th century, there's a lot of city center and downtown areas 
that became sort of ghost towns when it came to churches and Christian witnesses, witness. So back then, and it's kind of true today, if you go to a downtown area and you visit all of these historic, beautiful churches that are everywhere, when you go on a Sunday morning, what do you see? You still see the building, but there might not be that many people in it. So there is actually a, a shortage of gospel-centered, gospel-believing churches in city center areas way back 20, 30 years ago. But it's largely, largely a result of the influence of that church, and we're influenced here. Liberty, locally in Philadelphia, was one of the first churches, Liberty Fairmount, 20 years ago, planted new churches planted in center city Philadelphia, central Philly, in decades. It just didn't happen for the last part of the 20th century. And here in our country, if you visit another big city here in the U.S. and you want to go to a church somewhere in the city center downtown, you can probably find a church that's been planted over the past 20 or 30 years that has something to do lineage-wise or influence going to Redeemer in New York City. But one of the critiques of that movement of church planting centering in New York City, and this was not by commission by Tim Keller or anybody else, more by omission where you can't emphasize everything all at once. Some observers of the church have connected the rise and surge of city center church planting here in the U.S. with the decline of a heart and vision for global missions in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. You see, what began to happen was a lot of men and women that in the generation previous, young men and women would have said, I really love Jesus a lot. And I'm taking Jesus' call upon my life in such a way that I think I need to go into full-time ministry one way or another. I'm going to go overseas. And many of them did. And some of you that follow Jesus might know missionaries around the world that have been there a long time. They might be in their 50s and 60s. They heard that call way back when and went. But more recently, a lot of those same men and women that would have gone internationally to the missions field overseas have said instead, I need to do urban city center church planting. And realistically, I'm, I'm one of those people uh, as part of that movement. So it's possible that the church doing global missions has actually flagged in energy and enthusiasm over these past few decades for this reason, and I'm sure there are others as well. And so that has been one of the shaping influences on the Liberty Communion of Churches. And as I think about Liberty Collingswood and our communion, we've done some things with global mission over the years, but could we and should we have done more? I think the answer is yes. However, we haven't done nothing, in part because there's a second strand that's influenced Liberty Churches over the years. And this one is less well known. I'm going to tell you about it right now. One of the two founding founders of the Liberty Communion of Churches, Steve Huber, was a youth pastor at a Presbyterian church in the suburbs before he and another youth pastor, Jeff Bradford, at another Liberty Church, at another Presbyterian church in the suburbs, they came together and planted in the city. Do you know what church that was? The two churches were New Life Presbyterian Church in Glenside, PA, and then also New Life Presbyterian Church in Dresher, PA. We have a member here who actually grew up at New Life Dresher. But especially at New Life Church in Glenside, that was a church that for decades was all about global missions. And Steve Huber, our communion director to this day, will tell you stories about the men's prayer gathering. For example, every Friday morning at New Life Glenside, I don't know if this is literally true, but they met super early. Let's say they met at 4 a.m. All these guys. And on good weeks, it was 50, 60, 70 guys that would get together super early on a Friday morning every week, and they would pray for the global mission of the church. That's what they did. And so as Steve tells the story, you had guys that had never heard of most of the countries that people were praying for, and you show up on a Friday, learn about a country that you've never heard about, but then get so fired up for Jesus and the work of the gospel that was already going on there, or the work of Jesus that needed to happen there but wasn't happening yet, you had all these people praying and praising Jesus for the reality of global mission that we needed to lean into more and more and more. Steve and Jeff carried that vision, so historically for our communion, we did a lot in a place like South Sudan in Africa because of that connection. And what do you know? 
One of the leaders of that prayer meeting was an associate pastor at New Life Glenside. His name was Angelo Giuliani, who shortly after that planted also in the area, Philly suburbs, Bridge Community Church, that fast forward 25 years, last year came into the Liberty Communion of Churches. And they have done a ton with global missions over the years. And so I feel like we're ready for a new season of global mission, both at Liberty Collingswood and in our communion of churches. One of the huge blessings for me over the past few years here at Liberty Collingswood has been, as we were getting our first consistory, one of our elder candidates and then elders, Derek Dalrymple said, Jim, I would like to start our international partnerships team, which was a huge blessing. I had known for years as a church planner, man, we've got to do more with global missions. But I just felt guilty because the pieces never came together for it, and I didn't feel like I was able to devote leadership bandwidth for it. But then Derek, who's been overseas, I can do that. And so we've been doing it. And then also with the Liberty Communion of Churches, we are pressing ahead, pressing ahead, pressing ahead. So that's past, and now a couple things into the present, then we'll hear from Kathy and Derek. A couple things that we lose as churches when we don't do international missions and then also a couple things that we gain. Four things quick that we lose, and then two things that we gain. So what we lose is we lose urgency, fluency, dichotomy, and reality, and then what we gain. We gain a global vision, mission and vision, and then a greater purpose. So if you don't do international missions, and this is true of us individually as well, if the international mission of the gospel is not on your radar, it's very possible that you might be losing a little bit of gospel urgency in your own life. Global missions is a faith stretcher by design as we remember that Jesus is of eternal consequence for everybody. Jesus of Nazareth is the one person who is of eternal consequence for every human being heaven and hell. And the church has confessed around the world and throughout the ages that one's eternal destiny depends on one's position relative to Jesus of Nazareth. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, that probably blows your mind. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, that probably blows your mind. And it's an incredible faith stretcher. You see, it's a step easier for me to be a follower of Jesus and say, should I serve locally? Yes, I should. Should I help people here in my area? Yes, I should. And we should. We have a local partnerships team that does a ton of that. But it stretches my faith all the more. Is it worth the time and energy and money to send and sustain men and women going and staying around the world so that people who have not named the name of Jesus as Savior would name him as Lord and Savior and thus know life eternal. And if that's something that you wrestle with, I understand why you do. If it's any consolation, this is not a new question or a new problem in the history of the church. People have wrestled within the church with this question. How, what do we do with people that haven't heard the name of Jesus? Way back to the ancient church. So this is not a new thing to wrestle with. If you want me to talk about it more, you can just email postsundayblues at gmail.com, and we'll talk about it in the sermon debrief this week, Emily and I. But we lose that sense of urgency if all we have is here. But then also cultural fluency. As we engage in global missions around the world, we learn a lot and appreciate more and become more intimately familiar with a ton of different cultures and cultural expressions that we wouldn't know otherwise. And the flip side of that is as we engage more cultures overseas, we become more critical of our own, which is a really healthy process. Jesus in his ministry at one point says, I'm like new wine. And for new wine, we don't need the old wineskins. We need, we need the new wineskins. And part of a good self-critical process for the church here in the West is to continually assess in terms of what we practice, even what we believe sometimes, what's just old wineskin that's not rooted in the scriptures, that we need to move beyond so that we can get back to the Bible and truly be a fuller expression, self-critical in healthy ways, of what God calls us to do. And the more we engage with global missions, the more self-aware and culturally fluent we become in this way. 
you happen to listen to the sermons on our podcast feed, at least every once in a while, that intro, that bumper, I use the phrase, that whole eternal word and changing worlds thing, that's actually a reference, spoiler, from a book from another one of my seminary professors who was a huge mentor of, Harvey, of Manuel Ortiz, a guy named Harvey Kahn. He wrote that book in the 80s. And one of the theses of that book was that the church in the West needs to stay in contact and conversations with missionaries around the world so that we can always refine who we are for the glory of Jesus Christ. Eternal word, changing worlds. And then also dichotomy. When you go around the world, and we're going to hear some of this from Kathy in just a moment, should we serve spiritual needs or physical needs? Over and over again, as the church is engaged throughout the centuries in global mission, it's yes. It's both. You can't separate them. If Jesus is good news for all people, then you go forth doing both. And sometimes over here in the West, we can think, well, all the church needs to do is ministry of the word, verbal. Or, no, we're kind of embarrassed by word stuff and witness stuff and Bible stuff. All we need to do is serve. When you go overseas, you've got to do both because you see more clearly people need both. And I can get discouraged sometimes here in the U.S. when the church talks about issues of race and racism. People start to get nervous at the nine-second mark, and then angry at the 113-second mark, and then they exit the conversation at about the 200-second mark. That's discouraging to me when it's harder to talk about these things because there's so much baggage and so much backstory and so much history. But when you talk about issues of racism and oppression and injustice around the world, we don't have that U.S. backstory, and we're able, I think, with a clearer head and calmer heart Engage with those issues there that helps us back over here to talk about the same things. Then reality, namely the reality of the Holy Spirit. If you're not in the regular rhythm of learning, listening, hearing stories about God's work around the world internationally, get some of those stories. Talk about them in the context of your family. You hear the Holy Spirit doing some crazy things where the Spirit shows up where God answers prayer, where God, by the Holy Spirit, opens doors. We're going to hear about the Spirit coming, in, coming into play in Eswatini here in just a moment as well. When the Spirit intervenes miraculously, and the challenge for us as Western Christians and for me is, is the Holy Spirit out of gas here in the West, where unbelief is so hard that the Spirit is just turned down, saying, well, I wish I could do more, but all this materialism stuff is just too much for me. My hands are tied. Or am I blind to the work of what the Holy Spirit can and is doing over here? We gain that back. And speaking of what we gain, a global vision and a greater purpose. We think not only about our own backyard, but we think about the world as we engage in a global village in a different way. And that's really healthy for us. And we should follow international news, but not only as it comes to us from major news sources, although that's fine and good, but also be aware of, hey, where's the church struggling? Where's the church moving ahead? Where's the church being pounded and hurt? How can I be more passionate and more prayerful about what God is doing around the world? This is where we'll wrap up. Which gives us also greater purpose. Most of us, do you know where we live? Here in South Jersey. How many people think that South Jersey is the most important, most energetic place in the world? Most of us might not, even though we love South Jersey, right? But if you're thinking, I'm stuck here, if the song of your heart is, it's a town full of losers and I'm pulling out of here to win, you can be connected to something so much bigger and grander and also vitally connected to the overall sweep of history according to the living Lord himself. To be engaged, to hear, to listen, to pray, to financially support, and to celebrate God's mission around the world. This is going to be a fun fall for that. So in October, I mentioned Angelo Giuliani. He's going to be preaching here in October, on October 8th. And we're also going to hear at a different Sunday in October, from a couple of missionaries from the Liberty Communion, the Viskis, that are missionaries in Cluj, Romania, which is also Cluj, a place where we support a missionary, Paul Carey, 
And then also, and we're going to announce this later on, Liberty Global, that's the international partnerships team for the whole communion of churches, is having a celebration night the first Sunday evening in November, November 5th. And now we are going to hear from Derek and Kathy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I was going to our African Safari style clothing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, everyone. Um, this is a, a pleasure um, to interview Kathy. Kathy Santavania has, has been a member here for eight years, eight nine years, years. yes, since before me. Uh, Kathy is one of our deacons, and Kathy is also our very first representative to go on a Liberty Collingswood short-term missions trip. So welcome, Kathy. Thank you for taking this time to, to speak to us about the experience of your trip, about what has happened about how God has worked. Um, I have a number of questions that I'll tell everybody you've already seen. Um, so thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. What led you to sign up for a trip to a group of people in a country that nobody has really ever even heard of and to go on a trip with a group of people that you really didn't even know? So first of all, I heard Angelo Giuliani speak, and he was speaking about the work in Eswatini. And when you hear Angelo speak, you get excited. And he talked about the time that the mission would take place was in July. And usually in July, I'm teaching summer school, so that would have been out. But it just so happened that on June 30th, I retired. So it just so happened that I had July free. So step one was, hmm, Lord, I could go. So then I, after the meeting, I went and I approached Angelo and I talked to him and I said, but Angelo, I'm 66 years old. Can a 66-year-old person go overseas? And he said, oh, Kathy, don't worry about it. Of course you can. So that was step number one. Step number two was talking to Roger. Roger said, if that's what God wants you to do, do it. Step number three was talking to the international partnership team of which I am a part, anyone you want to go? And they said, no, we can't. And so I thought, well, I am part of the international partnership team. This is an international global project. God, maybe I should go. But then the next part was, God, but I don't have $3,000. And so I sent out some letters to people here at the church and some of my friends. I said, God, if you want me to go, you're going to have to raise the money. And guess what? He did. And with, with even a lot of time to spare. So I got the $3,000. I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to Eswatini. Now, I did not know any of the people. I only had met Angelo once. But I asked my good friend, Linda Barber, who is a nurse. I said, Linda, would you pray about going to Eswatini with me? They need nurses. So Linda prayed about it. And Linda also joined me on the trip to Eswatini. And the neat thing about the trip is that Angelo planned monthly meetings so that we would learn more about the country, learn more about what we had to do, and learn about each other more. So by the end of our meetings together, I knew everybody that was going to go on the trip. I felt comfortable with everyone. And so um, even though at the beginning I didn't know them, by the end of our meetings together, we all knew each other pretty well. Thank you. Yeah, uh, tell us a little bit about Eswatini as a country, as a people, and who God was calling you to serve. So Eswatini, well, the name before Eswatini was Swaziland. So Swaziland, Eswatini is a very small country of only a million point one people in the southern part of Africa. It's six hours east of Johannesburg. So when we flew from Newark, we flew right into Johannesburg and took a bus over to Eswatini. And the first thing that surprised me was how beautiful the country was. I had this picture in my mind from movies of flat land and giraffes running all over the place. 
but we were in a city called Manzini. Manzini is just a city like any other with banks and hospitals and schools, uh, bus stops, people going to work, children going to school. But the surrounding area was very hilly, very green, very beautiful. The foliage, the trees were not like anything that you see here. So I was really um, surprised by how beautiful Eswatini is. And the people are very loving, very giving, very caring. And we went specifically to serve two uh, very unreached people, the deaf population in Eswatini and orphans. So speaking of the people, what does your typical, what did, what did your typical nine to five look like? What did you do throughout the day? What were your activities? Uh, and did you really come back at nine o'clock or five o'clock or were you out all night? Our day began at 7.30 with uh, breakfast. So we lived in a, a convent, well, converted convent. And the convent had a big kitchen where uh, people from, I guess, the church, they cooked for us breakfast and dinner. So we all ate breakfast together. And then um, about 9 o'clock, we then got together to do our, our daily uh, work, whatever that would be, either to the uh, school of the deaf children or to the orphanage. I want to speak about the orphanage because that for me was a very incredible day that we spent. So there were 18 people from the United States that went to Eswatini, but we were joined by two people, wonderful people from a Christian church in South Africa, Abendigo and his niece Kat. And then we also had part of our team of two deaf Christians <clears throat> who helped us translating to the deaf community. And we also had part of our team, other Christians from the city of Manzini and, and surrounding areas who joined us daily on our little mission trip. So that day, our, our group divided into two. <clears throat> One group went back to the uh, deaf school, and I was fortunate to go to the orphanage. So the orphanage is a place where children from all ages go but they don't live there, they just go there and the little ones go for it in the morning and they get breakfast and they have a Bible study and then the older children come after school and they get food to eat. And our part there was, as Jim was saying, word and deed. So um, Angela Giuliani's wife said, Bar Barbara said to me, Kathy, you're serving rice. So we had a, a assembly line, so I did rice, cat, uh, the girl from South Africa did the beans, and Linda Barber did the salad, and plate after plate after plate. My arm hurt after a while <laughs> serving so much rice. It was, it was the, the sticky rice, you know? That's hard to get out of the bowl. <laughs> so I had to get the sticky rice and put it on plate after plate. So after the children ate, then we had a gospel presentation where um, we brought puppets, and uh, Barbara Giuliani did a... Um, losing the word here, but she, she did the story of when Jesus healed the man that was lifted down from the roof, that he was paralyzed and his friends brought him down, and Jesus healed him saying, so that you may know that the Son of God has power on earth or authority on earth to forgive sins, I say take up your pallet and walk. So they did that whole skit, and when the, the man, the puppet, you know, rose up, you know, the other puppets, some puppets were really excited, praising God, and other puppets were like, ooh, they were the Pharisees. They were like, ooh, what's Jesus doing now? So we did that, and then Angelo gave a gospel presentation, which was, of course, translated into the Eswati language. So after that was done, then we had a time of fun and games. So we brought jump ropes, soccer balls, um, uh, frisbees, and so we, we were just playing with the kids, and the kids had so much fun. I was, was playing Frisbee. I'm pretty good at Frisbee, so I only have to move <laughs> your wrist, right? So I was playing Frisbee with a group of kids, so that was really fun. And then after that, each kid lined up in a row, and we gave each kid a little packet to bring home. They had crayons, candy. Um, I know this doesn't sound good, but we also added some toothbrush and toothpaste with the candy. Oh, well. <laughs> so each kid got a little bag that they could bring home. Um, and then the lady that, that runs the orphanage said to us after, and it just brought tears in my eyes, that she said, I'm going to cry now, too. Stop, Kathy. She said, 
I will never forget this day. So, <clears throat> stop, stop. <laughs> we were able to bring joy to those children, and we were able to bring dignity. So this is a group of people that the government does not uh, serve very well. This is a group of people that maybe even in their own families, um, like their aunts and uncles, uh, who knows what happens, but they're, they're, this is a group of people that have been pushed aside. And we were able on that day to say, hey, God loves you. We love you. We're here from miles and miles away to show you that love, to be with you. And, and every kid, every person, everyone on our team left with a smile on our face. So that was a wonderful day. So we got home late, and we were exhausted. So there was no 9 to 5. It was, you know, whenever. And then when we got home, um, after we ate dinner, we gathered. Every night we gathered together in a room, and we praised God. Um, and Bendigo and his niece, Kat, beautiful voices, very good musicians. We, we sang uh, gospel songs, um, and we prayed we praised God for what happened that day, and we prayed for the people that we met. Thank you. And to help you cry a little more. Oh, no. <laughs> were there any specific individuals? I mean, we all know international missions is all about individual relationships. Were there any spe specific people you connected with? Well, um, most of our uh, encounters were with deaf, the deaf community, and I only learned in in their, my time there a little bit of sign language, so I really didn't get to um, touch or you know, communicate well with the deaf, and we were only with the orphans for five, six hours. But the people that I really got in touch with and, and got close to were the Eswatini, uh, the Menzini Christian women who came with us, and Colette herself. Colette said to me one day, she said, Kathy, uh, Colette is the lady that runs the orphanage. She said, Kathy, do you have an Eswati name? So it's their custom whenever a foreigner comes to give them a name from their language. I said, no, Colette, I don't have an Eswati name. She said, Kathy, your name now in Eswati is Dudu. <laughs> now, right? English, it sounds pretty bad. But in Eswati, it means comfort. So that was really cool. And so I, I got pretty close to some of the, the ladies from... Um, the other, the Christian women that came with us, we talked together, we prayed together, we laughed together, we played with the kids together. It, it was really nice. So now, not only do I have an Eswati name, you're going to have to hold this, you're going to have to come here. I also have, well, for years, uh, people would ask me, what's your middle name? I don't have a middle name. But now I have two middle names, right? I have the Eswati name, Dudu, and I also have uh, a and uh, sign language name. So they gave, every, so this, this means my sign name is, so when we went to the school for the deaf, the kids would do this, like, what's your sign name? And I would do, so I now have three names, right? Kathy, Dudu. <laughs> and what does that mean? That just, that's just a, it's a, because my hair. Right, so they, the, um, one of the two deaf men that were, were with us every day, his name is Thanks, he gave each of us on the team uh, a sign name. So he looked at my hair, and that was my, my sign name. Linda had more pronounced eyebrows, so that's <laughs> Linda's sign name. Right? So. Thank you. So a little bit about logistics. You know, whenever you go on an overseas trip, you plan, you plan, and you plan. And then just before you get there, everything changes. And you feel like you've done all this work for nothing. Were there any major hiccups, any setbacks in traveling, in arriving, in your mission that really set you off? Si, senor. <laughs> so first of all, the trip there, we were supposed to leave July ninth from uh, Newark Airport. So I drove Linda and myself to Glenside. At Glenside there was a big bus where all of the team members got on the bus and we drove to Newark. Our bags were put on the plane. We were at our gate. And then a few minutes before we were supposed to board the plane, a person gets on the speaker and says, 
the pilot refuses to fly this plane. What? Please move to gate so-and-so. So we all have to get pick ourselves up and go to another gate. So we're boarding the new plane that we're on. All of our bags are on the new plane. And it's getting to be like 1120, 1125. Um, and the stewardess, they don't call them that anymore, do they? Well, anyway, they said, um, we, we're, we're low on fuel. We have to wait to get more fuel for the plane. Well, it just so happened that the time for the, the, the pilot and the um, crew to work was passed. They were over their hours, so the plane could not take off. So we could not leave for Eswatini. So United Airlines, United Airlines gave us vouchers for taxis to get to Piscataway, New Jersey, where we spent the night at, uh, I think it was the Holiday Inn, and our team leader, Angelo, was trying and trying and trying to get us on another flight, right? He had 18 people, and he wanted us all together on another flight. He tried JFK, nothing. He tried Newark again, for United, nothing. So the only thing that came about was Monday. So we had to wait the whole weekend. So from Piscataway, right, Angelo had to get another bus to take us back to Glenside. I have to t take my car from Glenside back to Collingswood, and we waited the weekend. And so Sunday morning comes along, and I said to Roger, I'm not going to church. <laughs> Everybody's going to ask me, why are, what are you here? Why didn't you go to Eswatini? So we watched the church service online, and then Jim gets up, and he says, thank you, Liberty Collingswood, for your giving. Because of your giving, we're able to have Kathy Santivanias right now in Eswatini. <laughs> And Roger said, yeah, Eswatini, 130 East Summerfield Avenue. <laughs> so that was a major, major, major hiccup because we lost four days of service that, that um, Angelo and Mick, um, Mick and Kathy Sander are full-time missionaries there from, um, I don't know if you can see my shirt, but it's, it's uh, what does it say? Comfort for Africa. Comfort for Africa is the sending organization that uh, sent Kathy and Mick. And, and, and Mick and Angelo had all these things planned for us to do those days, but we weren't there. We couldn't do them. So that was major hiccup number one. And then major hiccup number two was the container. Uh, the biggest part of our uh, service to the people was clothing, distribution, blankets, uh, you know, accessories. And so starting early, I think, I don't even know, maybe it was April, people from uh, Angelo's church were gathering clothing to put in boxes into a huge container that was to be shipped to, and get to Eswatini. Well, it made it to South Africa. It made it to a city called Durban, but there was a lot of red tape to get it from Durban to Eswatini. And, and Mick, the man that was there, was trying his best to go through all the red tape, to fill out the paper, to make the phone calls, to make sure the container would arrive. And it did not arrive when we arrived, but praise God, it arrived a day later. So on Saturday, we got there Friday. Um, on Saturday, the container finally arrived, and Mick was you know, exhausted and tired, but we were finally able to use the clothing and all the goods in there to bless people there in Eswatini. Thank you. And Two more questions, or three more questions. Can you please tell us one story about how God has worked in a very powerful, unexpected, and in a way that only he could? So for me, the first miracle was raising the money. And I just want to thank all of you here who contributed to my trip. Um, in Philippians 1.5, Paul thanks the Philippians for partnership partnering with him in the cause of the gospel. And I just want to extend my same thanks to you for partnering with me, not only in giving, but in your prayers. I knew that Liberty Collingswood was praying for me. I knew that Liberty Collingswood was supporting me. And it really, you know, every day you get up, you say, thank you, Lord, for Liberty Collingswood. So um, that was, for me, um, amazing. But not only that, there was a family from Liberty Bridge Church, the Suggs family, um, 
Jeremy is the worship leader at that church, and he and his wife have three children. And they were trusting God to raise the $3,000 for each person of their team to go on the trip, and God did it. And those, he has three kids, like 22, 20, and I think 18. But those young people were amazing in our trip. Because we, we worked a lot with youth. And them, they're young, right? My brain is a little, like I couldn't pick up the signs and learn. But the young people could learn the sign language better than me. And they had more energy to play soccer and tug of war. They were just fantastic. So God bringing the young people with us to work in Eswatini was really a, a blessing and really a miracle. How he raised so much money for one family. And for the mother and father to see their children working and serving God, the mother and father were blown away. So it was really, it was really cool. Thank you. You got me crying again. <laughs> oh, one of the, one of the main uh, memories I have with my father is serving overseas in Bosnia. So yes, I definitely understand. Um, and I'm right there with you. Um, how, since you are the first Liberty Collingswood member to go on a short-term missions trip, how can Liberty Collingswood best support short-term missions trips in the future? Would you ever consider going back to Eswatini? And what what way can we uh, continue to uphold that? So, um, Jim mentioned Angela Giuliani, and I did too. Angela Giuliani's mother-in-law is a, name, a, a person named Rosemarie Miller. She's the wife of that Jack Miller that started the New Life Church. She's like 97 years old, and she's still serving God in London, an, an Asian uh, community there. And I'm reading her book, and she says here, the, through the years, I have heard people say, some go, some give, and some pray. But we all need to pray, we all need to give, and we all need to go, even if it is just next door. So I just wanna urge Liberty Collingswood to realize that um, it is, as Jim pointed out, God's calling. When I first became a Christian, I had to decide when I was, I became a Christian when I was a junior. My senior year, I had to decide what I was going to do with my life. And God put before me the verse where Jesus is calling his disciples, and he says, follow me. What does he say after that? And I'm going to make you a banker, and I'm going to make you a doctor, and I'm going to make you rich. What does he say? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So I thought, man, that's cool. That's what I want to do. So my first um, call was to be a missionary with Campus Crusade, and I worked with Crusade for many years. But that call to be a fisher of men has never left me, even though I was a teacher for many years. Um, so would, God, would I go back to Eswatini if God wants me to? Yes, why? Because he calls us to be fishers of men not only here, but wherever he calls us to. And one of the reasons I, why I went to Eswatini, I, I know Spanish, right? My heart is more for Latin America, and I'm Greek, and I know Greek, and I like Europe. I never, never, never thought that I would go to Africa. It was never on my heart. But after I heard Angelo speak, and I realized that um, God could put me wherever, it's thy will be done, not my will be done. And so the, the trip to Eswatini was well-organized, well-planned. I mean, I'm not going to go 14 hours on a plane ride if the trip isn't well thought out. And also in the, the trip, Angelo has connections with other Christian churches. So whoever we touch there has a church that they can go to. And not only that, Angelo has brought over 300 people through the years on short-term missions trip to Eswatini. So um, he has the knowledge, he knows the people, we have full-time missionaries there. It was just a, a good place for me, even though it was so far away, I never felt like I was in danger or something terrible was gonna happen. I always felt safe 
and secure, first of all, because I knew I was in God's will, and secondly, because it was such a well-thought-out trip. So I would encourage any of you um, for next year, I don't know what, what we're going to do, but to pray about being involved in short-term missions. Thank you. And you had a, a brief time, and this is our last question, you had a brief time in Eswatini. You got to see the people. You have pictures of them in your mind that will always be there. You got to touch them. You got to eat with them. You got to smell them. How can we smell. as a church pray for the people in Eswatini that you have met and how can we be encouraged to lift them up? Because they will, hopefully they will be our brothers and sisters. Hopefully some of them are. Well, first of all, um, you can pray for Mick and Kathy Sander, the full-time missionaries there. Mick recently had um, corn, his, his retina was separated, so he had a very serious operation on his eye. So please pray for healing for that and for Kathy for um, patience and comfort as she um, helps her husband. And then there, Kathy and Mick, during the um, pandemic, learned Eswatini Sign Language. So they are the ones that translated for us and translated for the deaf people in our group in sign language. So they chart started a deaf church. So you can pray for the, the deaf church there, that they will continue to meet the needs of the deaf community and continue to reach people for Christ there. And for Colette in the orphanage, Colette is getting up there in years. And she needs more uh, physical help, like more people to come alongside her and help her run the orphanage. Thank you. Can I close our time in prayer? Sure. Let's pray. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.